0: I'm so sorry. I'm a little distracted. My cat has rested his little cheek on my hand and I, I, half of my brain is there and I can't think of anything else.
1: Oh. <laughs> fuck! <Funny.
0: laughs> <laughs> You're chuffing.
1: All right. I'm cutting, I'm cutting that out. No, keep it all. Keep it all. <laughs> keep me coughing into the microphone. That's amazing audio. People love that. People, what people love is eating into the mic and coughing directly into it. <laughs> Um, That's what I
0: hear. I have a very successful podcast. I know.
1: Yeah, I I listened to an episode of Noble Blood and it was nonstop coughing for 45 minutes. And Welcome to We Pot a Zoo, the podcast about the 2011 film We Bought a Zoo. I'm Zach, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Uh, she's an author. You may know her as the host of Noble Blood and Popcorn Book Club. It's Dana Schwartz.
0: Hey, Zach. Thank you for having
1: me. I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie. Um, this episode has been a long time coming because I've, I have said as early as the first episode that I wanted to dive into the symbolism of this movie Ooh. and kind of analyze the themes and metaphors going on. And I think you're the the perfect person.
0: I'm genuinely flattered. Thank you so much for thinking of me.
1: Of course, um, but before we really like get into the movie, I I'm curious like, what is your experience with zoos?
0: Positive experiences. Um, I love animals. And when I was uh, younger, I I loved animals as a kid. Like I was a a big animal person. I like wrote little books about animals and uh, I'm from Chicago and there are two great zoos in Chicago, but I have really good memories of going to the Lincoln Park Zoo with my parents and family. And yeah, just enjoying it. I mean, again, this is like the Lincoln Park Zoo is like a nice zoo. So it never mm. felt like a, a gross like circus situation to me. It's like right. well, I learned a lot about animals and felt like I had a, a, an interest in biology. And I felt like, oh, this is like a place where people learn about animals and evolutionary biology. And uh, yeah, it was really it was really fun for me growing up.
1: Did you have like a favorite animal exhibit, like a favorite thing that sticks out?
0: Um, I did not like. I know I didn't like like the snakes and reptiles. <gasps> I, I, I just, Why? I don't like, I didn't like snakes. And I didn't like going into the house. It's like a snake house. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't like at, this, at the Lincoln Park Zoo, if, if I'm remembering correctly, going into like the snake house, which is sort of like a dark yeah, yeah. thing, where I'm like, no, I want to be outside. They have a really great penguin exhibit. And I loved seeing the penguins.
1: Oh, nice. I. I don't know if this is controversial i love the reptile house like i love that little like dark it's like always like a little warm and like a lot of places will like the walls will be like look like a cave i don't know if that's like what happened yeah there. yeah i love yeah that. it's like
0: cave but that's what, but that's what i don't like it's like warm <laughs> it's like breath warm that's the temperature in there it's like mm. breath warm uh,
1: it's just like the snakes are breathing on you.
0: <laughs> it's too dark. I think if I also recall, the Lincoln Park Zoo had a really good like indoor outdoor polar bear exhibit. Oh whoa! So you could see po- the polar bears swimming, and polar bears are really big. Yeah. And it it was it was a big enclosure, if I recall, and a lot of space. And so like when the polar bear did come, you felt very special when you when it decided to to show off for the crowds. It was a very exciting event.
1: That's that's very cool. We had yeah. a, a similar thing. I've talked about it before the the Biodome in Montreal had um a penguin exhibit where they would do that. They would like swim up cuz it was like half above water, half underwater and you could see them all like when they would dive under. Ah, they would just like yeah. swim around. And that shit I love that shit. And then sometimes you would get lucky and see the people come out with like a fish to like feed the penguins. That was That's all, the that's, coolest. Yeah.
0: I don't want anyone in Chicago getting mad at me in case I messed this up. It might be the Brookfield Zoo, which is like the other big zoo in Chicago. So one of those two zoos, I have good memories of polar bears.
1: And the other zoo, you have horrible memories of horrible memories yeah.
0: polar bears mauling people, <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> the blood running red through their fur.
1: Oh God! So what what was your experience before we get into like the the specific? Um, journey of of this episode. What was your just general experience watching this film? Had you seen it before or was this like your first?
0: No, I I hadn't seen it before. I'm not a huge Cameron Crowe person. I just hadn't really seen, I didn't see Jerry Maguire until like maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. I never, I still haven't seen Almost Famous. So I just like, I'm not someone to whom Cameron Crowe is like a pivotal director to me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like appointment viewing. When *We Bought a Zoo* came out, that I'm sure, like some committed fanboys, even though like *We Bought a Zoo* is the cheesiest name in the world for a movie and had yeah. the cheesiest poster, yeah. I'm sure some Cameron Crow people were like, "I gotta go see this movie." But that wasn't me. Um, I had nothing against it. I didn't. I didn't hold it any malice. I was just very indifferent to it. And I think any time I was on a plane, there was just something slightly better that I wanted to watch. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't see it up until this podcast when I, when I did watch it. Um, but I, I didn't bear it any ill will. I wasn't anti, we bought a zoo. I was like, that's a dumb name for a movie. Yeah. But I, I don't have any, I think Matt Damon is a likable actor. I think Scarlett Johansson has been good in films. (laughs) Uh, that, that was my opinion.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a very neutral movie. It's a very like. Yeah. Absolute net zero everything balances out and there's there's no impact that this it's like has.
0: aggressively neutral
1: yeah yes. It, yes it's an
0: aggressively neutral film i would say
1: yeah both both in like the experience of watching it and also in just like its cultural impact
0: yeah like even I will say, like the end of the movie, with the, his, it affected me emotionally. Mm-hmm. But then the second it was over, it just like dissolved, like a like a dream upon waking. Yes, like <laughs> it, it affected me in the moment, and I, I enjoyed the film to like the extent that I think it can be enjoyed. But it left no residue or or thoughts. Yeah. After.
1: Yeah, I think th- I think that, based on like its cultural importance, I think that that was the universal experience of watching this movie. Uh, across the board. Um, just
0: dissolving nothingness. As, as it's soon cotton as it's candy.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, like, even with other Cameron Crowe movies, you have, like, people talk a lot about Aloha because of, like, how egregious it is. And yeah. even, like, Elizabethtown for how, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl-y it is.
0: is. Elizabethtown is a wild... It's, that is an actively bad movie, yeah. but it's interesting.
1: Yes. This movie isn't actively good or actively bad, and it just, like... It just is, and then you, and then people stop talking about it.
0: It's also competent enough to be boring. You know what I mean? Like, if yes. a movie is so bad, it leaves like finger holds that you can latch onto because mm-hmm. you like have moments of like, ah, this is this is bad. But like, this is a very um, all the edges are sanded. It's yep. a very competently made movie. Like yep. all the, it works as it's intended, and that intent is um, a coma.
1: <laughs> um. Let's dive into kind of the nitty-gritty cuz even though this movie is on its surface extremely banal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it it does have a lot of texture, if that makes sense, like the, yeah. the the more you kind of focus on it, the more stuff you find. I
0: I would agree with that. I think it part of the competence of making it is like it was written and directed by esteemed good writers and directors and mm-hmm. the actors are all good actors like i think yeah there is there is interesting stuff to be mined beneath yeah. its uh beige facade
1: <laughs> it's aggressively beige and can
0: i can i ask you a question before yeah. we dive in yeah. uh why a podcast about we
1: bought a zoo um i i'm fighting so hard not to say why not but uh, i you can't no <laughs> um because it left like you said it you know none of it is is so bad that it leaves its like finger hold on you but the experience... you made that sound
0: dirty i when i said it, it
1: didn't sound dirty <laughs> can you can you re- re- phrase it how you said it <laughs> no that's
0: perfect keep going okay.
1: it left its fingers inside me and yeah i because of how little it left its fingers inside me you know <laughs> like like the because when i first watched it it was after i listened to the blank check episode about it and i was like huh that movie sounds weird and then i watched it and then i couldn't stop thinking about it and then i was like this movie is so aggressively neutral so like aggressively lacking of like any cultural significance after it was made in 2011 I'm laughing because your cat just ran across the screen.
0: <laughs> you didn't see, but while you were talking, he was balancing on his on his scratch post, like trying to figure out a way that he could get across this table without touching my computer, and he decided to do a running leap, and I caught him before he maybe fell off the table.
1: Oh, my God. Um, this is your animal adventure. This is your... Th-
0: this is my animal adventure. This is uh, Beetlejuice. Who is a? People ask. He's very fuzzy, so he might be a Maine Coon, but he's um, a stray, so I'll never know.
1: Damn. Um, sorry, I'm so distracted by by how adorable that cat is. Um, yeah. So so the I just heard the thunk of him plopping <laughs> on the ground. I hope that gets picked up in the recording. <laughs> um, yeah. So so this movie was just like I couldn't get it out of my head, even though like there it really is such a nothing movie, and I think that's what makes it so interesting because it's it like has, this.
0: It's like the silence from Doctor Who, a reference that we're both too cool to get.
1: Yeah, neither of us have any history in the Doctor Who fandom. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the, the, all the component pieces, this movie is, that's what it is. This movie is less than the sum of its parts, and it's fascinating to me.
0: That is, that's really interesting and a good answer. Should we uh, dive into the symbolism?
1: Let's do it, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, we can go through like chronologically, or we can go through kind of like symbol by symbol. What What, sti- what did you, what stood out to you? So before
0: before I even watched the movie, when Mm -hmm. I just knew its premise uh, upon hearing its title, um, we bought a zoo and I'm opening up the Wikipedia page as we speak because I will not remember character names. Benjamin Me, based on a true story. I knew that it was like a widower with like his cute daughter and like he needs to save his family. Um, I think I even texted this to you or, or messaged this to you before I even saw it. That I was like, I feel like it's like a Noah's Ark metaphor. Which is like after chaos and destruction, yes. a man and his family mm-hmm. find a new home and solace in this realm of animals. So to me, that seemed like the most fundamental yes. uh, basic symbol that, that this zoo is his salvation for his, him and his family and they start afresh because of the zoo.
1: Yes, and I, I had responded being like, oh, I'm not so sure that tracks, but then re-watching it, I think you might be onto something.
0: I mean, I think that it's just one of those, like, I I've 100% don't believe that anyone consciously um, did that, but I think just in our popular culture, religion is so, you know, echoed in our in our media that, like, any sacrifice is like a Jesus metaphor, and I feel yeah. like any salvation is a biblical story, and, like, a zoo is a very biblical uh, symbol. So yeah, I, I I I wouldn't defend it as anything that anyone involved thought they were doing, but I do think it's an interesting prism through which you can examine the movie.
1: I think so too. And I think that the, the one thing that does stand out as like, not necessarily that this movie tracks one-to-one with like the myth of Noah's Ark, but the idea that there was this to skip, you know, to the end of the movie. There's this like epic rainfall that, yeah. then at the end, when when the rain clears, that brings like the final salvation and the zoo is successful and the family is is saved.
0: And also, I mean, the steps at the beginning are very Noah's Ark in the sense that like uh, it's sort of like he's drawn to the zoo mm-hmm. through like a religion. You know, it's like it's a it's a happy mysterious accident that he just happens to come across the the ad for the zoo in the backseat of the does,
1: does, does real that estate make, agent's car. Does that make JB smooth? God, is that God?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like a prophet. Yeah, right. Okay. He's the prophet who's like you gotta do this. Yeah. So yeah, it's like he just sort of like falls into this as an accident, and then there's mm-hmm. all these doubters, like his brother, yeah. and the inspector who's like, you can't build the zoo, you can't do this, mm-hmm. which is like the very Noah's Ark thing of him trying to build the zoo to these specifications, never being like, don't do this, you're an idiot, right? And it's like, well, I gotta. Why? Because I got it, which is like sort of the the thing that you have to have faith in this higher power that you have to follow these rules to build this arc for these animals with no real reason. Like there's no reason he had to buy the zoo. Right. But he does. Um, And then there's all the doubters. And also he has one son and one daughter.
1: Yep. And can I say something insane that I noticed in this rewatch? Please. When he goes to Home Depot, the cashier, Mm -hmm. her name is Eve. What, what does it mean what does it mean they're starting afresh <laughs> oh. they're starting anew. oh my god yeah i think i think you could really do a biblical reading of this movie
0: that's my if i if i gun to my head and, and a, a literary theory professor uh was standing over me that's that's the reading i would do you know the the idea of also like uh the son dealing with death and loss is like i yeah, I, I think there's a lot of biblical stuff there. A son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, not saying that Scarlett Johansson's character is like a, I guess like a Mary Magdalene, and me as a Jesus figure. Now I'm I'm mixing up. Yeah, New no, Testament, I think we got
1: s- to stick with Noah. Noah yeah, on this one. But
0: she, but who is she the wife? I guess they are sort of the family unit.
1: Yeah, I guess she would be it's not a perfect metaphor. And I think maybe you could even do like a, a book of Job reading as well with yeah. like the, maybe that's how it begins with this like loss and him still mm-hmm. having faith. I don't know, but,
0: but yeah, Noah's Ark, the biblical flood is, that's a big one. That's yes, a good one.
1: Yes. I like that reading now. I, I was not sure at the beginning, but I, I think it works a little kind of, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think there, there are some like very specific, symbols or, or um, imagery that kind of persists throughout the movie. And I yeah. I think one of the big ones, and I, I've mentioned this before, but like sunlight, I think. Mm, yeah. I think like from, from the first time it's mentioned with the brother saying, um, you got to let a little sunlight in when they're like looking for a place to eat and sunlight being this kind of representation of like healing. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know if this was a conscious thing or if this was just, like, the the DP being, like, I'm going to, you know, shoot a lot of pretty backlit shots with sunlight pouring through trees. But, like, that stuff, that that, like, lens flare sunlight shows up in a lot of scenes where it's, like, where the characters are on the right path.
0: Oh, yeah. It's very, like... You know those movies that are like, and God is alive because I had a coma dream about him. Yeah. Like it's shot like one of those posters. Like it's very light. Mm-hmm. It's very Yeah, lens flary. Definitely we get that uh they're like, we're shooting this at a pretty zoo, so we're gonna have some pretty, pretty shots of animals.
1: Yeah, it's very like like Tree of Lifey. Like mm-hmm. these like dream like sequences, but it's this like very methodical or gives the appearance of being a very methodical, deliberate, like here's the sunlight when they arrive at the zoo for the first time. Here's the sunlight when uh Buster, the bear is like frolicking <laughs> in the, in the meadow, like the sunlight representing, like, is it like freedom? Is it like relief from grief? Is it? I think
0: that uh, to me, I think very clearly, if this movie has a arc, mm-hmm. it is getting over the depth of, the wife yes. the mother yes. and being able at the end being able to um enjoy her memory in a non-painful way you know getting past the pain of grief mm-hmm. into the joy of a new life and so i always i thought that the sunlight very literally was as the the brother says like you know you gotta let some of that sun in. you have to get outside enjoy mm-hmm. and like and i'm now mixing metaphors with like the ins- the idea of like being huddled inside yourself and being outside and being mm-hmm. at a zoo is a very like outdoor connecting to nature type thing you know like it, yes. it, it 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 tracks
1: honestly i think the brother we're we're kind of like going through a different a couple different images here but something else the brother says he's very I wonder if he's meant to be this like kind of wise character who is almost commenting on the symbolism of the film in a meta way because he says that about the sunlight, and he also says like the first time that they show up, um, he shows up to help. He's like, yeah. yeah, I get it, man. We're all in cages, man. But then like, <laughs> if you track that that motif through the film of of like where the enclosures are and even how the camera shoots hmm. people through the greats of enclosures, yeah. there's this idea that all of these people are not trapped, but they're they're living their lives in these spaces. It's interesting because there are certain moments where it's implied that it's a bad thing, that's a negative thing. Like, there is the scene where he is feeding Sparr with his daughter, mm-hmm. and she's, like, telling him, like, you know, Dylan thought his friends would come, but nobody came, Um, so he's, you know, he's really sad and, and Benjamin being like, it's fine. It'll be fine. And kind of in that like denial, even though Rosie's like telling him this and the camera is shooting them. So there's always the cage between them. Yeah. And it's this idea of like, they're, they're not dealing with the problem. Mm -hmm. And then finally later when, when Dylan has this reconciliation with Benjamin, they're shot so that the cage is no longer between them. Even though they're in the same location.
0: Uh, absolutely. I think the cage, uh, not to, to conflate that with the idea of light, but that idea that they're trapped in their grief mm-hmm. and like their lack of communication, which is really key. But I also think cages or enclosures, yeah. as they're known in the zoo community, um, can have a positive aspect. Yes. You, you sort of mentioned, I think the enclosures in the zoo titular purchased zoo are <laughs> um they make like a, a comforting home. Yes. And the the the, the Benjamin me that we meet at the beginning of the film is globe trotting, traveling all over the world, doing all these crazy things, quits his job. You know, he, he is free in every sense of the world word. And the cage or enclosure of like his family and mm-hmm. having a house and having like domesticity, like he ties himself down to this zoo and mm-hmm. this found family and this physical piece of property with all of his money in a way that uh, kind of mirrors how enclosures can be good for some animals that aren't capable of functioning in the wild.
1: Yes, I, I would agree with that. And I think there's a, there's an interesting parallel where like it goes from that scene with, you know, Spar in his enclosure. Well, it's not really the enclosure. It's like the interior like space where they give him yeah. his, his food or whatever. But it, it it cuts from that where it's this like you know sick dying animal that they have to accept its death. It cuts from that to Rosie like watching the like baby peacocks be born and they're also yeah. in this this like smaller enclosure. This like little fenced area and it's like oh enclosures in this sense aren't inherently good or bad. They're just the space in which things happen
0: yeah and i think the 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 zoo idea is definitely a one in which an enclosure is something okay i mean it lets the public it raises public interest in animals and you know Mm -hmm. a lot of scientists and and doctors can study animals and you know a lot of these animals can't go out and survive in in the wild so having um a safe and you know zoo that fits all the regulations is like a positive thing for, like, life and death. And I think a family is sort of that, like, a, you know, your family, you own this property, mm-hmm. you're here, invest in it and take care of it. It's like, that's a, a thing that maybe all animals need, humans included.
1: Yeah. It, throughout the movie, there are also all of these, like, very interesting framing shots that show, like, people through windows, people mm-hmm. through the banister. I think, like, there's this one moment where ScarJo is, like, leading the kids up the stairs and... It's shot like both through the window frame, which creates these like horizontal lines, and then through the banisters, or like the 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 poles on the banisters, which creates all these vertical lines, and it looks like a, a cage. I don't want to like I'm going back and forth between saying cage and enclosure, but yeah, I get it. And again, not not to frame it as positive or negative, but just like these are the spaces in which people move and exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I I and again, it's like. How much of that was a conscious de- conscious decision by Cameron Crowe and the cinematographer versus like, let's shoot them through the window in this shot, you know?
0: I mean, I think it's, it's it would be insane to to do a film about humans who live at a zoo and not like make that connection that like, mm-hmm. oh, all humans, I'm I'm V from V for Vendetta and everyone's in a cage <laughs> and now you just see the bars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I I wish they went further with that. I wish that that idea was more explicit. I think part of my problem with We Bought a Zoo as a film Mm -hmm. is it's so competently made, but it's not trying to say anything. Like its thesis at the end is like, yeah, get over. Grief is really hard and you'll pull through, which is like a non-thesis. That's just like a thing that happens. It's like, yeah, it's really sad that his wife died Mm -hmm. and he and his kids... Have an adventure and pull through. The uh, only thing yeah. I I do sort of like is that like fifteen seconds of bravery.
1: Yeah, that the, idea. Tw- of that. Twenty seconds of insane courage. Twenty seconds. Yeah.
0: Twenty seconds of extreme courage. Thank yeah. you so much. It's almost like have you in, in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? She talks about like you can do anything if you just think it's for ten minutes.
1: Mm, no, maybe, I haven't. Like, I haven't seen it, minutes. but yeah,
0: there's um a scene. That, it's like such a broad comedy, but there's one scene where she mentions like when they had to like be tortured in this underground chamber. She's like, right. "Yeah, well, we would do it for hours, but I would just tell myself like you can do anything for 10 minutes and then you have to do like another or 10 seconds even." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "And then you can do another 10 seconds," which I think is like weirdly profound and helps me some I like sometimes comes to me as I'm doing hard things. Yeah. Where like the idea of 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 20 seconds 20, 20 seconds, of
1: insane, 20 courage. seconds yeah. of
0: insane courage is a thing, like the one tiny piece that I can sort of pluck from this movie, where yeah. I'm like Oh, that's interesting.
1: I I agree with you. And it's so wild that it's introduced like half an hour from the end of the movie. Like it's it's such a a central piece of like especially the end of the movie, because it's like the thing that drives Dylan to like reconcile with Elle Fanning. And then like it's the story of how he met the wife. And like it's a really important through line, but only for the last half hour.
0: And also as watching this from like a screenwriting perspective you're like that wasn't Benjamin me's journey or arc he mm-hmm. didn't he never needed that 20 seconds of extreme courage from the beginning when we first meet him in his opening montage he's like flying a in a plane mm-hmm. through a helicopter and like climbing mountains like he yeah. is a very brave man he was the one who right away, Did that to his wife, like off-screen before we met him. Yeah. Who like went up to her. And he's the one who the first like major action he does, the the impetus is him buying a zoo. That is not the journey he goes on to be brave enough to buy a zoo. He, this entire time, is a very brave person. He doesn't I'm I'm mansplaining like the (laughs) the basics of character arc, but like in a film, you want the character to be at a place at the beginning. And then be in a different place at the end. And he is not. And that one interesting thesis of like having 20 seconds of uh, amazing courage is not a a lesson that he needs to
1: learn. No, his lesson is like one that is never properly verbalized in the movie, which is like overcoming grief and learning to live with someone who is gone, but not really gone, like learning to, to move on without letting go. Or, or which something like that. Which again,
0: that. to me, is not interesting because mm-hmm. it, that is just a fact of life. Almost unfortunate. Grief is so awful, mm-hmm. but this movie isn't about the misery of grief. It's mostly like a pleasant movie. It's about like, right. you know, he was sad, but he wasn't like depressed at the beginning of the
1: movie. No, but you know who was his fucking son, and his fucking son, his fucking son, and his son does have like this this really aching journey in the movie. And the resolution is like non existent because they just have like a pleasant conversation and then suddenly they're reconciled.
0: And it's a. Al Fanning is. I know it's so overused to be like, what a manic pixie dream girl, but because this is Cameron Crowe, <laughs> I feel like I'm allowed to say, what a fucking manic pixie dream girl. I, I mean, she's kind of charming as an actress. Yeah, okay. As an actress, but as the character is written, she's I, just as like this sweet little girl who lo- is, loves this dude.
1: I don't think she's. Totally manic pixie dream girlie, but I think she's on the fence. But I li- I still like the character. I do.
0: I like the character, but I think that's more because I like Al Fanning's performance more than yes. I like the way the character is written. But, I feel yes. like she is only there to serve this emo son. Mm. She doesn't go on a journey.
1: Well, neither does Scarlett Johansson.
0: Oh yeah, well, the women in this movie are are nightmares. Yeah, I. It's not a great movie for women, but that also makes it beige because most Hollywood movies aren't
1: <laughs> again, right It's splitting no hairs. This movie is like right down the middle <laughs> by the book's Hollywood Christmas movie yeah what okay let's 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 veer back towards um, uh symbols and, and metaphors and and kind of what Please. this movie is kind of saying without saying anything. no say anything was a different
0: movie.
1: Ah. Uh, hey the other thing. That this movie, I mean, this is like almost goes without saying, but I think we, you know, this is the episode about symbols, so I think we should talk about it. Spar the tiger as like the stand-in for the wife.
0: It should go without saying, but then Matt Damon says it out loud (laughs) uh, very explicitly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a point
0: when they're they're trying to get Spar to come down from the rock to eat because he's dying and uh they're like come on we have to let him go we have to let-. and he's like no it's not we can't let him go it's time to die he like all but says yes you're representative of my wife and i'm not ready to let you go
1: yeah well in that scene it's weird because like he he talks he talks to the tiger like it's his wife but then he also yells at it like it's his son in that scene he's like i'm trying to do what's best for you like yeah. he's in that scene the tiger represents both like, letting go of his wife and also reconciling with his son. And, like, it, yeah. it, it's a very weird scene because it just, like, mixes these metaphors in a way that the tiger has never before represented Dylan.
0: It's like, we gotta uh, wrap this up and make this movie check more boxes to yes. be emotionally cohesive. It really is, a, like, a checklist of screenwriting cohesion where they're like, uh, he's struggling with his son. Make, make, it, make it, you know, come through.
1: Yeah and it's over yeah 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 they they i think i talked about this on the last one but like they they so much of like the the end of this movie is just like checking boxes of like uh okay let's resolve the dylan and uh l fanning plot line check okay uh let's let's make the father and son happy now check uh let's make sure that the zoo opens check and like it's just like but up but up but up but up um let's uh, make sure he gets over the wife check like it's,
0: Do they explain why the zoo inspector is such a dick? I mean, obviously, it's just like comic <laughs> relief, I guess, like wandering from a different movie. Yeah. But like sort of you want the zoo inspector. We're on the same side. We all want the zoo to be up to code for these animals. Mm-hmm. Why is he such a dick? Do we know?
1: I don't think it's ever fully explained. I think we can like we can theorize. I think maybe like, yeah, Here here is what I think. Okay. I think that he and McCready... Have had a tumultuous history and they used to be closer mm. and something happened which has made them grow further apart. And and I say yeah. that I say that with the implication that they could have been former lovers, because there is that moment when he arrives in at the end of the movie and they like compliment each other's clothing. In a very X way. Yeah. Yeah. And like, in like a very like, I see you. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, and you know, Macready is drinking to get over him. Like, it, there's a lot that you can read onto those characters. I I don't think that it's it's ever explicitly mentioned why he's such an asshole, but I think that could be it.
0: I like that reading a lot, and I also would l- wish it was more explicit because I think if the theme is um, getting getting over or mourning a, a grief. Mm-hmm it would be fun to also see the way that that can be communicated through our end of a relationship. Yes. And I think like the anger and sadness of the end of a relationship would be a fun mirror, not fun, but yeah. an interesting mirror to like the loss of someone that you unambiguously loved. Because in both cases, you're, you're losing love. And like, I think art, you know, it's an interesting way. And so I wish that the film uh, committed to that. It would be, have been interesting to see a different sort of grief represented and then be resolved.
1: Yes, I, I think the the movie does represent that grief with Duncan, the brother, and him like constantly being like, Sheila left me, man. But that was like, him, him- But we
0: also don't care about that relationship. Exactly. There's no
1: stakes in the movie. Exactly, and so you're so right that like, if, cause, cause we see like so many different stages of relationships in this movie, whether they're successful, that's like another thing, but mm-hmm. we see like mourning of the death of a partner we see like the budding of a new romance with like D- um both Dylan and Elle Fanning and Matt Damon and Scarjo. Yeah. and well, I mean, like that's even a different one because that's like Matt Damon and Scarjo is like the new person after the loss. But then like then there's the brother and his ex-wife. It's never clear of oh, like, yeah. He, it's just like Sheila left me fifteen years ago or whatever. It's the timeline is all over the place. but yeah, they don't care. Yeah. And then you even have like Rosie, who's now like, raising these like baby peacocks peacocks yeah and so it's, it's all these these different modes of a relationship and but what we don't see is people who have who are both still alive who have split and have reconciled as friends and i think that like that dynamic between macready and walter ferris could have been really really interesting if that's what that was
0: i would have loved it i do not think this movie is brave enough to have wanted to do that explicitly or even implicitly
1: absolutely but- not
0: I think it's, uh, it is interesting because a thing that Benjamin, so I've been listening to the podcast you're wrong about. Have okay. you listened to that one? No, I don't know that one. I love it. But they were talking about um, the death of Princess Diana. Okay. And in her, you. Uh, this is going to have a point, I promise. Okay. <laughs> um, they talked about how in her funeral eulogy, her brother said like, don't canonize her right away. Like she was a human being, like she mm-hmm. had faults, like she was, and he like talks about her as like a person and like, He's mourning her as a full person with all of these faults. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful because I think people want to be loved and remembered for the people that they are. Yeah. I find it um a little disappointing that they go fully into like the Madonna complex with the dead mom. Yeah. And like he's mourning her as a this perfect woman. Mm-hmm. Where I always think it's so much more interesting to mourn someone as like the person that they were. Yeah. And are as a human being. So that said, I would have liked that more. And I would have liked seeing someone mourning an actual person after a relationship. So you can say like, yeah, my ex was like selfish or petty or like had bad breath in the morning. But like I still love them and I still miss them. My grief is valid in certain ways. Like I think that this movie, I'm going on a monologue here. But I think like the way that it presents the dead wife Mm -hmm. makes the grief feel a little flat to me because she was just perfect and we miss her and it's so sad it was this perfect love.
1: Yeah. Um, I I think that like, it, like you said before, like this movie does not do right by its female characters. and I think (laughs) like, nowhere is it more exemplified than with uh, Catherine because she is given no internal life. Um, She is just... No faults? No. She's just... This I, I I have discovered maybe one fault, and that is through like meticulous close reading that I mm-hmm. did in um uh, two episodes ago. I I don't know, but with with Dylan's art, I we did a, a close reading. This episode hasn't come out yet, but we did a close reading Ooh. of of Dylan's art throughout the film, and one of his pieces is like a, a female figure holding a a child with like a a shadow in the background and the implication what we think is it's like is that representing rosie and him being shunned as like the older sibling and the the family bonding over the new baby and neglecting Oh, totally yeah that's a real thing so that is but like that's with like doing an insane amount of close reading that no one ever should have to do with this movie in order to find inner life with one of the characters so like that is the only fault that she potentially maybe has if that even is like a canonical reading of that art. <laughs> like,
0: and even then, it's like maybe more thing, you know, like Benjamin Mee is just as guilty in that because he thinks he's being neglected by the dad. So we can be like, maybe the dad is more of a neglector.
1: The dad, I mean, he's, he is such a bad parent to Dylan. That's, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, 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 we're del- I mean, it's the movie makes it so deliberate, but it is just like, always shocking to see like how little he cares about his son
0: dylan does not want to buy this zoo no he isn't he does not consent to the zoo buying experience uh and they do it without him and he is forced to go along for the ride
1: yep it's very cruel can
0: i say as someone who lives in los angeles it's very weird to me that little doms is characterized as a coffee shop repeatedly throughout this film
1: is that a real place oh
0: yeah in los Feliz.
1: oh okay yeah okay wait this is great this is you're the you're the first person who has this insight what tell me about this uh
0: this movie seems to take place nowhere and also everywhere yeah it's very difficult to me to figure out where they are but i assume that they're in california because at some at one point he says that he met his wife at little dom's and they show like the actual sign of little Mm dom's which is an italian restaurant in los Files, like on a very busy thoroughfare and i'm like how far is he the zoo from los angeles proper they say an hour from the nearest Target, right? They say like 40 they say um,
1: nine miles.
0: Nine miles from the nearest Target, but they're just like zipping in and out of Los Feliz. Like, okay, Little Thumbs is like a very good Italian restaurant, and it does have breakfast and brunch. Like, it's good. Like, I've I've met someone there for like brunch and coffee, but it's like an expensive brunch, and it's not like you wouldn't call it a coffee shop. That felt felt very weird to me, where I'm like, okay, maybe they if. This doesn't feel like Little Doms, but if it's not supposed to be Little Doms, then why do you keep showing it? Why it, do you keep showing the actual sign?
1: It's so weird to be so specific about a place, but then not adhere to what that place actually is.
0: You could just make up a place. That you could, If you want it to be like a local coffee shop, just call it like Ralph Steiner. Like, yeah. That's, you could call it whatever you want. That is the actual sign. I'm like the actual location of like a nice Italian restaurant that I go to a lot that has a <laughs> has a good breakfast, but...
1: <laughs> that's so weird yeah Yeah, i i fully just assumed it was like a made-up place for the movie i never looked into little doms no
0: great uh good breakfast and uh great rice balls and red sauce
1: damn okay yeah all right well it's on my list next time i'm okay to travel across the country
0: yeah definitely i mean absolutely it's one of my favorite restaurants
1: fuck yeah have you ever seen an apparition of your dead wife in little
0: doms um not yet But maybe I'm someone's apparition of a dead wife. Maybe this is a Sixth Sense thing. And I don't even realize that my future husband is mourning my loss and seeing me as a 27-year-old eating breakfast, haunting him.
1: (laughs) When people listen to this episode of the podcast, they're only going to be hearing my half of it because- (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm talking to a ghost right now. There's no audio coming through.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I'm six sensing and I I don't even know it. That would be very fun. Do,
1: do you want to talk uh, about the ending of the movie from like a, a, an analytical point of view because of it's, it is the most kind of out of left field element of the movie. It
0: made me feel as a viewer who has uh, worked in screenwriting and, and written a few screenplays for executives who give notes, mm-hmm. um, it felt like either this was a the ending of an earlier version of the script, in which you know it was more about the wife, or that this was sort of added on in a way that they said, we need this to be more emotionally affecting. But it didn't feel cohesive to the movie. So the end of it, this movie, we bought a zoo, which doesn't even take place at the zoo, has them driving, I guess, 15 miles to Los Feliz in, in Hollywood, uh, I mean, in Los Angeles. And uh going to Little Dom's, and he tells his children that he saw a woman in the window of this uh restaurant, and he walked inside, and his opening line was, uh, why would a woman like you, an amazing, incredible, beautiful woman like you, ever talk to a guy like me? Which is an insane opening line, I want to say, that if a guy ever said that to me, I'd be like, What? You don't know me. That's the weirdest thing. But Obviously, she then appears as he's describing the story to his children in a way that suggests he is able to make her memory alive again. In right. being able to uh, tell her story and communicate that to his children, he is able to make them see her again. And I will say, I'll admit, uh, when the little girl goes like, Hi, mommy, like it totally got me. I get like chills because I'm sad because, yeah, your dead mom is a, is a fundamentally sad thing.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that that scene is effective. I think that like the metaphor of like, I want to say- What is the I...
0: metaphor there? Say, Tell me what, a meta- what the metaphor is there.
1: Sorry. No,
0: I'm genuinely curious <laughs> and angry at the film, not you. Because all of the subtext is just text, but I'm curious, I'm, yeah. yeah. I,
1: is it is it the idea? It's what you said. I mean, like the idea of like the telling of a story is enough to bring it to life. That's not a, that's not what a metaphor is, but, but is
0: that yeah, I'm like that's, I, I that's, totally get what you mean. That it's like the idea that like you by overcoming your grief, you can like bring that person's memory back in a
1: Yeah, but it's way. not the thesis of the movie.
0: Nor is that like a metaphor. That's just like an observation.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's like but it but it's couched in all of this weird metaphysical imagery of like being able to see someone who is dead and communicate and again it 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 just it feels like it is like you said a draft from a different movie or a a, a thesis that is not properly conveyed throughout the rest of the movie as as it yeah. should be because you have these like moments like the dancing in the kitchen when he's looking at the photos of like memories coming to life as a a a, a theme that would have been nice to see more in the movie this idea that like if you re-experience something if you let yourself relive those moments then they're still alive for you yeah and i love that scene in the kitchen and again we see when he's like remembering that moment and they're dancing in front of him we see like that that lens flare sunlight when they're having the picnic and it's it's very bright and it's you know it's that idea of like re-experiencing something and letting the sunlight in and overcoming grief yeah And again, in Little Dom's, there's sunlight pouring in through the window when she's sitting at the cafe. I say cafe. It's not a cafe, you just said. It's not a cafe. Well, (laughs) they make it a cafe.
0: I guess, like, how they want to frame it? But again, if you wanted it to be a cafe, just make it a cafe.
1: (laughs) Just call it something else. Little Dom's Cafe. Just tack a sign onto it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I totally agree. I I mean, I think you're right that it's a very straightforward observation. Yeah. like, even, like, the light is such, like, a basic, like, Freshman year 101 metaphor, like you know, for for grief and and overcoming sadness. I will say, I am a, always a fan in movies of the way that, um, when they show old photographs, yeah. if you're like, oh, that's actually an old photograph of them, Matt Damon had to call his mom, yeah, and like find an old. Ph- I love, <laughs> I love movies where they have old photos of the actors, but they're actually old photos of the actors, yes, it I- makes it. Just because I have to imagine someone texting their mom and it makes me happy. And
1: the mom having to, like, sign an image release. Yeah. Um, the I, I just like there's so many um shows and movies that do bad photoshops of stuff like yeah. that. I think th- this is really good because you can tell it's actually old photos of them. But I just watched um Bly Manor, and there is like such a bad photoshop of like the the family when they're like all still alive or whatever, and it's like this picture is nonsense. It makes no sense and it's bad. I have not um, seen
0: Blind Manor yet. Uh maybe I will.
1: Keep your eye out. It's and terrible. Keep... So <laughs> yeah. very I mean, no no. The show is really good. Sorry, I don't wanna imply that Bly Manor is terrible. Bly Manor is really good. There is one very bad Photoshop in it that will stick out like a sore th- thumb when you get to that scene. Can't wait. But yeah, yeah. So so the ending of this movie as like this okay, the the retelling of the memory now that you're able to overcome grief is bringing the the wife back to life but it's yeah like you said it's so straightforward and it's so not what the imagery of the rest of the movie has been about
0: yeah i mean it it's consistent when with the rest of the movie in that it is like uh very surface level and like sweet in a tv movie sort of way mm-hmm. um And it's, you know, effective and like competent and in that it's, you know, makes you emotional. But I don't think it has anchors. It's not greater than the sum of his parts, as you would, as you said.
1: Yeah. Very
0: articulately.
1: I'm thinking that maybe it would have been better as like an Inception style thing where, you you know, the way that he... (laughs) No, 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 this, I'm not, I'm not doing a goof. This is real. (laughs) Where... It's not a goof? It's not a goof. I promise you. I mean, this podcast is a goof, but this idea is not a goof where if... You know how in Inception, (laughs) where he is, you know, being unexpectedly approached by the imagery of his dead wife. Yeah. And it's something that haunts him. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, if this movie had leaned more into that, because she only shows up three times. So she's, like, in the window for two seconds when they're, like, driving to the zoo. Then there's the scene in the kitchen, and then there's the ending. Like, if she had been more of a presence, something that he is, like, Noticing more something that because he says like, you know, it's hard to look at Dylan because of her eyes It's hard to be at the zoo because she follows me everywhere like this Mm -hmm. idea that is clearly very personal to him but is only like visualized a few times in the movie like if she had been there more and it's about him like accepting her presence reckoning with her presence and Being able to share that presence and that's the journey Then the ending makes a lot more sense.
0: I, I mean, I love that. I love the idea of conquering your ghost and then living with your ghost yes.
1: as, a, as an ally. Yes, and I think that then then solidifies the ending as more of a metaphor, as more of like a stand-in for something rather than just like, it's about being able to see the mom, but it's like, no, it's about being but, able to overcome something.
0: But also then, and I think what would help that, but that the movie refuses to do, mm-hmm. is to make the mom character anything other than just, like, a, a cardboard cutout of, like, perfect love. Yes. Like, I think being haunted by a person and, like, their memories, I think part of being able to conjure someone enough so that your children can see them, so that they feel like a tangible part of your life again, Yeah. I think requires you to reconcile with them as a full person. And that is something that this movie refuses to do because it would, yeah. I guess, require, like, a second of tension. And, you know, it's like you don't for a second believe that they're going to fail the zoo. Like, this movie has no tension. You're never worried that, like, the zoo won't open. You're never actually concerned that, like, he'll go broke or right. that, like, he, the son and Al Fanning won't end up together. And I think that, like, having to reckon with someone who's dead as a, an imperfect person requires, like, a, a moment of um, thoughtfulness.
1: Yeah, I think if you read the tiger as like a one-to-one to the mom, the tiger is actually given more faults than the yeah. mother. And <laughs> also
0: I would love, I mean, it's so sad, but like he's sort of angry at the tiger for give, giving up and like yeah. not fighting to live. And like, what if the mom threw her disease? Like he thought that she gave up, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he would, you, sometimes, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, it's not speaking from experience, thank God, but like I could imagine a lot of grief someone might experience if someone they love they feel uh gave up and i think that the forgiveness of understanding that that person was in pain or fought as hard as they could or mm-hmm. something like that like have being able to forgive the the person on their terms and knowing that they had to leave like that sometimes it's selfish to want someone with you all the time yeah is the lesson that he learns with the tiger yes and that's way more nuanced than with the wife because yeah the tiger like he's fighting for this tiger and the tiger's like it's just my time man Mm -hmm. i'm an old tiger sometimes old tigers die
1: yes and he he even tells rosie like you know you know sometimes someone looks like they're in a lot more pain than they actually are and that that is this very like fairy tale reading of illness that he imposes on the wife And then falls into that trap of believing it with the tiger, where it's like, oh no, the tiger looks bad, but it's fine. No, the tiger's dying. And that's the journey that he has to come to accept that, that the tiger is as bad as it looks.
0: That is a far more um, nuanced and interesting movie. I mean, we don't know the details of the wife's
1: death. No, we just know that she was sick. We don't really understand. It's, it's, you know, maybe it was some kind of cancer, but it's it's never explicitly stated.
0: I mean, for a movie ostensibly about overcoming this wife's death, we find out almost nothing about how he dealt with it mm-hmm. or the grief. Like we we find this movie meets us after the death. Yes. You know, we don't even get the we don't even get the pain of seeing her death so that we can get the catharsis of bringing her back. She's right. a stranger to us at the end. We're like you know, if you've seen uh, the, the film Titanic.
1: I have not seen the film Titanic. I know what? it's really fucked up. I Wait, know it's really what? fucked up. I said, I, know. That, I, know. I said
0: that like as a joke to be like, oh, everyone's seen Titanic. <sighs> okay, well, I'm spoiling it for you. Well, because, I know sorry. Yeah, I know
1: everything about the gosh damn movie.
0: Good. I mean, see Titanic, it's, it's a good movie. I know it's sort of basic, but like it is a good movie. It's long uh, though, isn't it? Yeah, but like. What are you? What do you have to do, Zach? You're making a podcast about we bought a zoo.
1: Yeah, fuck you. I can do this. I have time to watch Titanic. Okay,
0: one, two and a half hour movie. All right, but uh, (laughs) we see we see them fall in love. Yeah, we see Jack die, and then at the end of the movie, I always cry because like it just is effective. Mm -hmm. She has like a dream fantasy sequence of returning to the Titanic and seeing Leonardo DiCaprio at the top of the stairs. Right, and it like gives me chills, and it's like. Oh, because this was a character that we loved and lost, and now we're seeing him again in his prime. Like, that is something that, like, and I think that um, this movie, We Bought a Zoo, gets trickles of that, but because we, the audience, didn't love or mourn the wife, Mm -hmm. it's not as effective as it could be.
1: Which, again, I think bringing it back to the inception analogy, like, if you have. The wife as a presence in his life the, the ghost of the wife not literal ghost but the like the that being haunted by grief or even if of the idea of him having more conversations with the tiger as a stand-in for the wife but having very mm-hmm. real conversations about like her faults her death her illness having way more grounded nuanced discussions of their romance her her sickness raising children the idea of having to lose a mother like if they want to commit to the tiger being that stand-in and they want to have matt damon talk to the tiger emotionally commit to that and have the wife be the tiger in more than just like a cursory thing because then even if you don't want to commit to like giving us flashbacks of you know the the wife sick in bed then you have this kind of anchor of we know so much about the wife because we are, Matt Damon is is giving us his grief through the tiger in a way that isn't just like, you know, like you said, like screenwriting 101.
0: I think, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. I think you're right. I mean, a thing in Inception is, unfortunately, we do see the wife die yeah. and in a really tragic, it's a different type of movie, but that is effective in a way that like, you're anchored to the wife. I think yeah. if you don't have to see the death of the wife to get to know her as a person, as you said, and for a movie that is about so very little, but <laughs> says that it's about getting over grief, yeah, they they do amazingly li- uh, uh, amazingly few moments of that.
1: Yeah, and and like you said, like the the ending I think is effective. Like it's in, it's effective in a vacuum because like it it's a, the ending of a much more effective movie.
0: Yeah, I can I feel like you can reverse engineer a better movie from that. End. Yeah,
1: yeah such what is such a problem with the rest of this movie is that it it gets caught up in itself in moments that are so unrelated to this you know central idea of grief and you have these like weird little antics or you have like the the lion cage is stuck or not stuck or whatever there's a box of snakes and like it's all of this stuff that is so superfluous and just like Trips over itself when a much more effective movie is like way more grounded. But this movie doesn't it's, know what it is trying to be. But
0: it—it's not about. I mean, it is. It's. A, it says it's about Matt Damon struggling with grief, but we never see Matt Damon struggling with grief. He yeah. never s- does anything or makes any mistakes or like suffers any consequences because of his grief.
1: You know, the only—the
0: <laughs> only consequence of his consequence yeah. of his grief that we get is him not accepting like a dinner date from like the slutty moms at their school (laughs) because this movie hates women. But the movie also posits that they're thirsty and annoying and he made the right decision in not going out with them. So again, no consequences.
1: Right, the only time we get any kind of indication that Matt Damon has struggled is like at the very beginning of the movie, there is like a shot of him in the bathroom and we see like on the shelf, there's like a bunch of pills.
0: I thought that that was he, his wife's medication that he's not getting rid of.
1: Oh, okay. I never read it that way, but you're- Because re-
0: it's like there's there's a female hairbrush there. And yeah, there's
1: like, there, so there's like a, um her jewelry. Like he still has her like earring rack like yeah. up in the bathroom. I wonder if that is her medication. I always read it as him like being like, like having been prescribed antidepressants. Oh, I read it as he is keeping her shelf and not touching it. I, I got that with the jewelry, but I never thought that those were her her pills. But that makes a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. Nothing
0: like, in this movie indicates that Matt Damon is medically depressed or needs exactly. medication.
1: Yeah, because that that's the thing. Is that like, that's the only scene that would give that credence. But like the rest of the movie, he is so happy-go-lucky, whatever the fuck.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna stick with my reading on that, but interesting either way.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think that like I think yours is a is a better reading of that.
0: If if Matt Damon is on antidepressants, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, he shouldn't be making a major decision like buying a zoo and clearly he's unbalanced. <laughs> like yeah, he like manically quits his job. Like if that is like a chemical thing, you're like, Oh, well, take a beat, Matt yeah. Damon, before you quit your job and like make a major financial decision. Like relax yeah, for his, a second his
1: therapist would be so mad at him yeah in the next session
0: a, if i was prescribing him antidepressants and he wasn't like clearly not over this thing yeah i'd be like hold on <laughs> quit quit your job moved your family spent all of your money that you own to buy a zoo and you know nothing about zoos yeah let's roll this back so i dearly hope that he's not on uh Prescription medicines, medication. Otherwise, his his psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, yeah, needs to have their license revoked.
1: Um, or they have clearly not done a good job with whatever they are prescribing him. Or Matt Damon is straight up just not taking any of the medication. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It, his his uh, it's a much darker movie if that's his medication.
1: Uh, yeah. And you're right that like this movie does not have the teeth to make it that dark.
0: No, Um, I don't think Matt Damon is depressed. I think his wife had, uh, and it doesn't even have the guts to give her an actual tangible illness. She's just in, she just only exists in ephemera.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think that there's a movie that has done any good with the dead wife trope?
0: Yeah, I can't think of it off the top of my head but there's so many of them that some of them have to be good.
1: <laughs> just like right? the rule of large numbers, is that what it's called?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess John Wick is a good movie. I don't think it does good with the dead wife because we don't, you know, she's just like a perfect ideal. Yeah. Um, I guess Up, but it's not really about that. I would say the, the short film, the nine-minute short film that Up should have been.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the opening of Up, yeah.
0: Up is that I, I actually really don't like the movie up i think it just should have been a short mm-hmm. and i think it's a really good short yeah and then this the movie uh to the back of it is just wild and different
1: yeah i agree with that I, I still like the movie as like its own thing but the beginning is so much stronger and it does do so much with her it gives her such a rich internal life because she's yeah. this like weird adventure kid and and she you know Work? They work at a zoo. Hang on, wait, wait, and then they go on an animal adventure. Is this? Hang on, is up? Just we bought a zoo with balloons. <laughs> Hang on, we bought a bull balloon. Balloon. We ballooned a zoo. No, we <laughs> bought. What do they? Do they buy anything in that movie? We bought a trip. We bought a ticket to South America. Yeah.
0: <laughs> They buy a bunch of a bunch of balloons. We
1: buy. A I guess
0: um, Ghost is a good movie about a dead spouse. That's but true. not a
1: dead dead wife. That's dead true. Husband. I've never seen Ghost actually.
0: Uh, I don't know if it holds up. I've not seen it since I was maybe like twelve. Oh, mm. you know what the best movie about a dead spouse is? What the ba- the Babadook.
1: Yeah, that is a a very nuanced handling of grief. That, of grief. Yes. Yes. That's
0: a real grief movie and that is what it is like. I mean not that I would, but that feels like there if they want someone to be haunted by grief and it's yes. like damaging to the people around them, that is absolutely uh oof, a much much more compelling uh film about grief.
1: I think so too. And then and that also kind of not to spoil the ending of the Babadook. Sorry to anyone who has not seen the Babadook, but that movie ends with like the idea of finding a way to still live with this grief mm. and to to compartmentalize it in uh, i don't want to say a healthy way but in a more healthy way to learn lo- it's it's in a uh, livable way yes yeah yeah to live with it to learn how to deal with it i feel like that the ending of that movie is not the ending of the relationship with grief it no. is just the, the beginning of the healing process and she I th- just
0: is yeah she's able to live Alongside the grief, but the grief yes. isn't
1: gone. The grief isn't gone, and it's still monstrous. But it's still, but it is palatable. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a palatable grief. It's a contained grief, and I think that with the ending of We Bought a Zoo, we we bought a Babadook, we bought a Zubadook. <laughs> we bought a zubadook <laughs> we, we zooed a Babadook. Um, <laughs> the the ending of We Bought a Zoo doesn't show us how they how they move on, you know, because there's this yeah. idea that like now Scarlett Johansson and the memory of the wife can, like, live next to each other because, you know, there's that symbol of, like, the red kites in the sky and the red kites Mm -hmm. representing, like, what the mom enjoyed and and hanging over the zoo as, like, the zoo is a space for the memory of the mom to live on. But if the wife's presence is this, like, perfect entity, it doesn't feel like it's been resolved in a way that can allow Scarlett Johansson to be, like, a, a welcomed figure in the life it feels like she's always going to be compared to Catherine.
0: <laughs> the perfect, the perfect why That's why I also wanted it to be like he recognizes that she was a human being and not like a, a, an angel from heaven.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh,
0: you know what is a good dead wife movie? Maybe. What? Shutter Island.
1: We had duly appointed federal marshals.
0: <laughs> duly appointed federal marshals. <laughs> he is dealing with his... Dead wife yep. in a way that is interesting, more interesting than we bought a
1: zoo. Yep, that's true. This is the second time Shutter Island has been brought up on this podcast, and I, I, I'm starting to think that I should rewatch it now, because it's clearly there are more parallels.
0: Well, we bought a federal marshal.
1: <laughs> we bought a Shutter Island. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we bought a, so it's a, we bought a balzoon, which I'm sticking with. We bought, we bought a
1: balzoon. <laughs> We bought a Balzoon. Uh, we we bought a Babadook. We bought a Babadook,
0: and we bought a Shutter Island.
1: <laughs> better uh,
0: movies. Better movies. I like all three of those movies. I like better than we bought a zoo.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, we bought a zoo is not a good movie. It's just like you said, competently made.
0: We did talk about it for a full hour.
1: We did. <laughs> it, there's a like I said, there's a lot to dissect in this movie. Whether it's good is is up for debate. No, it's not. There's no debate. It's not good. But well, good. A...
0: Good is an interesting word yeah. for films. I might, if if someone like posit- like forced me to be like, mm-hmm. if they held me to a very rigorous standard of good and bad, I guess I might say good. But I didn't like it.
1: Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. There it is. It's just, it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. This movie's fine. And
0: if I was with someone who's like, "Oh, I'm dying to see we bought a zoo. Will you watch it with me?" I'll be like, "Yeah, that's fine."
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's way to kill two hours, you know. Yeah, it's fine.
0: If I'm on a plane and that's the only thing they're playing, I'll watch it.
1: Yeah. Before we like really wrap up, there's like a very important thing that I am wondering. Yeah, which is fun. I mean, yeah, I. So as as we know, Scarlett Johansson. Introduces the tigers when they arrive at the zoo, and she Rosie's like, "Why aren't they roaring?" And she says, "Well, they don't roar; they chuff." And she chuffs. Oh, I
0: tried. I chuffed at my tried to chuff at my cat. Were you gonna ask that? Yeah,
1: I was gonna ask if you could if you could give us a chuff.
0: Oh, I was. I mean, I.
1: (laughs) Oh no! I. (laughs) Can you chuff? You're biting your
0: tongue. You you chuff. How do you chuff?
1: It's like it's like. Oh, it's. (laughs) I
0: forgot. (laughs) <laughs> there's my chuff after they because cat uh cats are basically like house cats are are jungle cats yeah. in a lot of ways um and so after this movie i did try to chuff at my cat beetlejuice and he had none of it
1: did he have an actively negative response to chuffing
0: no just the the reaction i had till we bought a zoo which was complete indifference.
1: <laughs> where is he now can you try can we can we do a, a, an on mic chuff at the cat
0: yeah, give me one
1: second. I'll go get
0: him. Hell yeah. Pause. Okay.
1: Beetlejuice! Alright. Dana is looking for the cat. It is right behind her. It is The cat is right behind her. Oh, she's, she's got treats. She has, she has found treats. She's giving Beetlejuice treats. Beetlejuice is eating the treats on the floor. Dana is picking Beetlejuice up. She's walking now back towards the desk. She's sat she is sitting down.
0: Thank you for describing it all.
1: <laughs> I have right. to narrate. <laughs> Absolute indifference. Nothing. <laughs> that was excellent. Thank you, thank you for doing that. He had no response.
0: No response. He does not care at all. If I do like a, pss, 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 he kind of likes that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the chuffing, absolutely nothing.
1: Wow. Absolutely chuffing. <laughs> boo, <laughs> boo. We chuffed a zoo. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have do you have any any final final thoughts on um, the the symbols of We Bought a Zoo, the journey of the film, um, anything as we wrap up here?
0: I'm going to stick with my Noah's Ark metaphor because I do feel like loss and rebirth and, and the animals sort of go hand in hand. Uh, I don't feel uh, confident about it because I don't <laughs> think this movie has the guts to to, to say anything. Yeah, um, But I like it. It kind of makes it the movie more interesting for me, the viewer. And the author is dead. So there we go.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, no, the author's wife is dead. <laughs>
0: No, I'm thank you. Yeah,
1: thank you. I thank got, you. Thank yeah, you. got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. Um Okay. Uh thank you for thank you for coming on this, yeah, this it was wonderful great adventure.
0: Great to catch up, Zach. This is this has been fun. We haven't talked in a little bit.
1: Yeah. It's been so nice we to We did
0: we we potted the zoo.
1: We did pod the zoo is the thing. Do you have anything to plug the zoo? Uh
0: yeah. I, I have a, a podcast called Noble Blood where I, you know, research and write about historical royals if that interests you. And I also have a book club podcast uh, called Popcorn Book Club, where we just like talk about books that are being adapted to TV shows and movies. So that one's uh, way more casual. And I, I don't put on like my podcast voice for that one. So uh, pick your poison.
1: Hell yeah. Um, can you give us a, like a quick taste of podcast voice?
0: Yeah, what should I say?
1: Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, can you say like all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage?
0: Yeah, and then here's like, okay. this is actually like the mic of my setup. Okay. All you need is 20 seconds of insane courage.
1: I just got chills. <laughs> <The>
0: podcast <laughs> podcast voice.
1: Whoa. Um, <laughs> thank you to RT Kobrel for the intro and outro music and Sydney Gish for her vocals on the intro. You can find links to their work on our Twitter, which is at we Pot Zoo. Uh, special thanks to my friend Dylan at Adult Human Bitch for suggesting the name we Pot Zoo in the first place. Um, you can uh find us on apple podcasts on spotify great review subscribe five stars if you can um if you go to dartmoorzoo.org.uk that's the zoo that the film is based on they are currently struggling due to covid you can throw donations their way if you have the means and uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at zach silberberg and dana yeah why'd you come on this podcast Oh wait! Can you do a podcast? Can you do it in the podcast voice?
0: Yeah, do it again. Yeah, give me um, the uh...
1: oh yeah yeah um, hey Dana, why'd you come on this podcast? Why not? See you next time. <laughs> There's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Guess what happens? There's a zoo for sale, and it gets bought by Matt Damon, a grieving single father in search of closure, hoping to find or or bear enclosure. We a It's a film by Cameron Crowe, We a Buy it now so you can go home and enjoy it with your friends and family. We bought us. I'll buy it.